the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Here we go! Welcome to Panhandle Live on WEPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Panhandle Live is brought to you by Sutton and Janelle Attorneys at Law. Visit their new location at 224 West King Street, Martinsburg, and online at suttonandjanelle.com. Here are your hosts of the 2022 WVBA Talk Show of the Year, Jordan Nicewarner and Marsha Kavalik. It is Wednesday the 8th, and you're tuned in to Panhandle Live, brought to you by Sutton & Janelle, full-service law firm serving West Virginia and Maryland, helping individuals, families, businesses with all of their legal needs. Family law, criminal defense, DUI, personal injury, mediation. They provide legal counsel tailored to you. You can visit their historic location in downtown Martinsburg at 224 West King Street. You can always find them online at SuttonAndJanelle.com. I'm Jordan Icewinner, alongside me, Marsha Cavalli. Good morning, Marsha. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing all right. How are you? I'm all right. I'm, I've been pouring through the Senate agenda for today. Ooh, and we'll fun. talk about it a little later, but one of the items, uh, declaring the Guyandot River crayfish, we call them crawdaddies, um, the official crustacean for the state of West Virginia. Oh, <laughs> well, what do you know? I'm yeah. into that. We'll talk about some of the things on Crawl the that. agenda for today for day 29 of the legislative session. But joining us via phone uh, is Herbert Henderson, Office of Minority Affairs Secretary. Jill Upson, welcome in. Good morning. How are you both doing? <laughs> we're, good. we're good. So uh, you guys have had a busy time in Charleston. And uh, apparently you guys had Women's and Girls Day at the at the legislature. So were you part of that? Yes, I was. So you may recall back in the fall around October, um, I took over as executive director of the West Virginia Women's Commission. So now I have two agencies. Uh, so this was my first major event as the executive director of the Women's Commission. And so I was really excited to welcome 83 girls into the Capitol yesterday and women um, as a part of that event. So uh, what does that involve? I mean, more than just like walking them around and letting them see the chambers, right? Oh, absolutely. So yes, that is that is definitely a part of it. Um, the middle school and high school girls who attend, um, we kind of encourage them to meet with their legislators and to advocate or oppose uh, any legislation that may be running through uh, the legislature at the time. But in addition to that, we have an event for them over in the Culture Center where uh, we sit down with them and we have relevant tabletop discussions. And so some of the topics that were discussed yesterday was uh, they included bullying, uh, dating violence, peer pressure, voting, and things like that. And it's all driven by the students themselves, uh, the adults are just there to sort of facilitate, but uh, the ideas that come out of those discussions are pretty impressive, and they all come from the students. Do you have a feeling that we'll see some of these young ladies in the future in, you know, in the legislature themselves or positions of leadership? Without question. It was so inspiring to watch them, you know, take the mic and uh, to report back on their group and what they came up with as far as ideas and solutions. And uh, they just really knocked it out of the park. And one interesting thing that happened was we invite the legislators to come over if they have a chance to greet the girls and just say, hello, I'm delegate or I'm senator so-and-so. And so one of the delegates who did um, come over 
when he had a break on the floor session was Delegate Caleb Hanna. And he told a story that I had never heard before. He said that he actually filed to run for office while he was on a field trip at the age of 17. He snuck over from the main Capitol building uh, to the main Capitol building and went to the Secretary of State's office to file to run. And I was so glad he told the story to those students so they can see that they too can do something like that. Wow, peeled off from the field trip. Yeah, go figure. (laughs) I guess you don't, you can't get in too much trouble, I guess, if you're on a field trip to the Capitol and if you go you vanish, but you end up finding out that they went to the Secretary of State's office to run, end up running. I don't think Just you're going to get, get elected. That. <laughs> that is way cool. Well, again, we're speaking with again, we're speaking with Herbert Henderson, Office of Minority Affairs Secretary Jill Upson. Of course, uh, this month very busy for your office, and of course, uh, well, these next two months, February and March, very busy. But right now, Black History Month uh, going on. What are some of the things that uh, the Herbert Henderson office is uh, partaking in? So we had a Black History Month kickoff that we posted uh, virtually online on the 1st of February, and that included the governor's proclamation. And uh, it just encouraged people to really learn and study and understand why there is a black history. I see a lot of posts on social media asking that very question when it would be so easy to look that information up and learn about Carter G. Woodson and how it went from Black History Week to Black History Month. Um, In addition to that, we are planning a series of Black History lectures, and this is something that we've done every year since I've been here. Um, The first one coming up on the 18th of February, which will be posted online as a premiere, um, involves Reverend James Patterson. He's the CEO of the Partnership of African American Churches, and he's going to talk about health equity. His organization uh, runs a number of medically-assisted treatment facilities, and they also have uh, men's recovery homes called Infinite Pathways. And he was explaining to me that he came up with that name because he understands that treatment isn't just a one and done, that you need to have some place where you can go back to, even if it's infinite. And so I just really, you know, am excited that he's going to be a part of our Black History Month lectures and hope that people will watch our Facebook page for that event. So I wanted to ask you a question because related to that, um, the health equity, we had some some folks stop by the station here in Martinsburg. Uh, It's been uh, about a week and a half ago, and they were concerned because their mother was in the hospital. Uh, They uh, and they said they they didn't think that she was getting good treatment. Um, I won't name the hospital, but but um, they said, you know, and they felt as though their race um, was part of the fact that, you know, that her care was not as equitable. So I actually uh, sent them to your office. I, I gave them your your uh, email address. Is that the appropriate thing to do? Um, it, should should are there are there organizations that you guys can point folks to who might feel like they're, um, you know, in need of some extra services? Yes, so that is exactly what I am here for, what this agency is here for, and to act as a bridge between the community and the resources that are available to them. I know that family. Um, Thank you for sending them to me. I didn't realize that was how they connected with me. But, man, what a sweet family. And they are just really advocating and fighting as hard as they can 
uh, for their loved one. And so I was able to uh, to call in the reinforcements on that particular case to to get them some help. And it is very, very difficult. Even now, I actually called them last Friday, I believe it was, just to follow up, just to see how things were going. And they are still struggling and still in the fight. Um, but I appreciate you giving them my phone number because, as I said, that's exactly what I'm here to do. Well, I I love hearing that. I I hadn't heard from them because I gave them my email and and yours, and apparently yours was the one that worked better. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm glad they they're getting the help that they need, and hopefully there will be good outcomes. Yes, absolutely. So and uh, that is, it, it's already tough when you're going through medical challenges with a loved one, but just to get that sense that that there's not a a sense of urgency or the level of care. Uh, is subpar. I mean, it is just really, really difficult for people to have to go through that. So again, like I said, I can't thank you enough for directing them to me. Well, thank you for for, uh, taking their email and call. Um, I appreciate that. So uh, before we uh, get to Women's History Month, anything else you want to remind folks about Black History Month that, um, you know, some resources if if folks have uh, students maybe that want to do projects, etc.? Yes, so there are a number of different resources, but I always start with the West Virginia Division of Arts, Culture, and History. Uh, They actually have a lot of content, um, not just West Virginia-related, but black history-related as well. And one of the components of yesterday's program was I uh, went out and I purchased the... the Maya Angelou quarter that came out in 2022, and I actually uh, gave and read uh, a lot of information about Maya Angelou to the students, and then I quizzed them on it and to make it more of a learning experience. And if they got the the question right, I gave them uh, one of the Maya Angelou quarters that are only going to be in circulation for the next four years. So I got them little. Um, you know, keeper little quarter holders and, uh, and gave those out. And that turned out to be a huge hit. And it was really amazing to me how the students were listening and remembered just, uh, a lot of the, the difficult facts about her. Like she used to be a, um, a San Francisco, San Francisco, conductor car operator. No way. They really paid attention. And so that's, I got that information from the U.S. Mint website. So it's great that there are a lot of organizations that are really paying attention and really trying to move the ball forward and educating people about Black History Month. And so there's no excuse at this point for people not to know uh, what Black History Month is about and to discover about the, the people who really contributed to uh, the fabric of our country. Our, our guest this morning is Herbert Henderson, Office of Minority Affairs, Secretary Jill Upson, who is also the Executive Director of the West Virginia uh, Women's, uh, is it Commission? Yes. Okay. Women's Commission. So uh, Women's History Month is also marked in March. So, um, you know, you, no rest for the weary, right? <laughs> what, no, what do you guys have not planned? Not at all. <laughs> So we do. We have another uh, kickoff plan like we did for uh, for Black History Month. And then another uh, big day that happens during uh, Women's History Month, in addition to um, honoring and rec- recognizing West Virginia women, is Equal Pay Day. And Equal Pay Day this year falls on uh, March 14th. And for people who don't know, that is the day that symbolizes how far into the year that women must work to earn what men earned during the previous year. So for us, that will be March 14th. Okay. 
Perfect. <laughs> wow. So, so um, I know your work doesn't end at the end of March. If, if folks want to learn more about what the Herbert Henderson Office of Minority Affairs, and we shortcut it to HOMA uh, when we're yeah. just quite casually talking about it, if they want to know what you guys are up to throughout the year and any visits that you might be doing close by uh, in the year, let, let us know how we can find that information out. Yes, so we have a website, which is minorityaffairs, all one word, .wv.gov, and then our handle on social media for both Twitter and Facebook is at WVHHOMA, and that's where you will find all the information of everything that we have going on, and you are correct, because I have already started planning and booking my artists for Juneteenth, which is a huge celebration that we have coming up. It will be Saturday, June 17th this year on the front lawns of the Capitol. (laughs) Well, Jill, thank you for joining us this morning on Panhandle Live. Thank you so much for having me. Hope to speak with you soon. Take care. Again, Herbert Henderson, Office of Minority Affairs Secretary Jill Upson, joining us on the line. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back to it a little bit later on today, but we'll step aside for our first break, come back for more Panhandle Live uh, in a bit on, on, the, on WEPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Live, the voice of the Panhandle. Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner and Marsha Kavalik. Welcome back to Panhandle Live, brought to you by Sutton and Janelle, full-service law firm serving West Virginia and Maryland. You can visit their historic location in downtown Martinsburg at 224 West King Street. You can always find them online at suttonandjanelle.com. I'm Jordan Ice Warner. Alongside me is Marsh Kavalik. If you missed uh, any of our conversation with Herbert Henderson, Office of Minority Affairs, Joe Upson, you can listen back to that a little bit later on today. But we've got enough time here, Marsha, for the bottom of the arm for a little news roundup. Okay, so first up, a traffic alert. Uh, I-81 northbound on-ramp at Tabler Station Road or Exit A. Is going to be closed uh, through 10 this morning. Uh, that's to allow for guardrail repair. So if you're heading out, just stay alert and be uh, cautious through that work zone. That whole area has been like because it, it funnels you down to like straddling one lane. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's probably caught some folks off guard, but hopefully that will be resolved soon. Perfect. Yeah. So also, uh, West Virginia Secretary, I'm sorry, West Virginia State Treasurer Riley Moore was in town yesterday at St. Joseph's School, and uh, they invited us to come out and cover it. Luke went out and got some, some sound from that visit. The dollars are following the student, and then that requirement by the public school to educate that child no longer exists. Secondarily, I'd say one-third of the student funding formula, one-third, that's the state tax portion, is that $4,300. The other two-thirds is the federal money. They're not necessarily, their funding formula is a little different, so it's not like they automatically lose out on that federal funding. And of course, that's West Virginia State Treasurer Riley Moore talking about, or well, answering questions about the Hope Scholarship and, uh, you know, talking about how the scholarship would not diminish dollars from the public school system. And we've talked about this off and on, Marsha, mm-hmm. uh, the past, I guess, couple of months now. And uh, I mean, this is a pretty big deal. Right. Especially if you're someone who, um, you know, your faith kind of would, would rather you be in a parochial school, mm-hmm. but you're also a taxpayer. So part of your tax money and your parents' tax money, uh, you know, extended families going to the public school system, but you'd rather have maybe some alternatives. Um, it, so the Hope Scholarship is part of that equation. Uh, it was interesting that he was at St. Joseph's School, which is a, a school that educates kids through the eighth grade. One of the complaints for uh parents in the area, especially uh, Catholic parents, is that in the panhandle, there's not a Catholic high school. 
Well, and here's more talking about one of the biggest reasons people are seeking out the Hope Scholarship. It does seem that there's a substantial amount of them that it is driven by religious reasons. I think they want a Christian education in this state. Well, and like you were just saying, I mean, uh, there aren't that many, I guess, Christian educational institutes institutions uh, in and around the panhandle. Especially that go up to, I mean, there are some private schools that go up to 12th right. grade. Um, but if you want a Catholic education, you have to go out of state. Right. Myself and other, I'm not a legislator, a former legislator, but myself and the other legislators from the Eastern Panhandle, I'm from Jefferson. It was one of the fights that we had is that due to the geography of the Eastern Panhandle and the lack of high schools, we had to have the ability to, be go, to use it out of state. So that is in the bill. Interesting stuff. Yeah, and it, you know, there's been a conversation for a long time about um, putting a Catholic high school in the Panhandle somewhere, um, and uh, you know, there there are certainly churches that are big enough. So, what about the the what is it, Martinsburg? I guess Christian Academy mm-hmm. that's out. So, is that yeah. not? Yeah, that's that's up to twelfth grade. That's a parochial school. I mean, that's a private uh, Christian school. So that would fall under all this. Um, yeah, the kids going there, uh, their families can take advantage of the Hope Scholarship as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if you wanted to um, homeschool your student, but you needed special materials or you wanted to go with like the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd or one of those online programs that kind of sets the school year up for you um, and with all the, the materials, the Hope Scholarship, I believe, can go toward that as well. There are also co-ops that folks can be part of, and some of those take a little money to be part of. Now, we don't have to get into uh, too much of this talk, so we don't have a ton of time, but uh, did you watch any of the State of the Union last night? I listened to a bunch of the, the clips this morning, as I, and mm-hmm. I'll, I'm going to be running some more of those on my um, uh, morning newscasts uh, tomorrow because um, there were some some interesting things, uh, inter- exchanges between the the president and the gallery. Well, um, I'll beat you. I'll beat your newscast to one of them. Here is okay. uh, President Biden uh, with a contentious moment talking about the budget. And to my Republican friends, if we could work together the last Congress, there's no reason we can't work together and find consensus on important things in this Congress as well. Today, COVID no longer controls our lives. And two years ago, democracy faced its greatest threat to the Civil War. And today, though bruised, our democracy remains unbowed and unbroken. Two years ago, the economy was reeling. I stand here tonight after we've created, with the help of many people in this room, 12 million new jobs. More jobs created in two years than any president's created in four years because of you all. But it's being proposed by some of you. Folks, and look, I'm not going to allow them to take away, be taken away. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever. But apparently it's not going to be a problem. Well, you got people yelling and laughing and clapping. And I mean, it yeah, was that, that uh, certainly last, an interesting one. That last clip was a lot of booze because yeah. he, um, he uh, mentioned that at least one GOP uh, con- uh, con- or lawmaker was talking about, you know, reducing or sunsetting uh, Social Security, Medicare. And uh, I think the audience didn't like that it seemed that he was painting it with a broad brush. Right. And so a lot of the folks in the GOP end of the of the spectrum uh, reacted with booze. Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, Green? I can't remember her name, um, 
Anyway, she she called him a liar. Yeah, well, you, it, you can hear that like like barely at the end. <laughs> it was a a contentious one, nonetheless. But I decided to watch basketball instead of watch the uh, State of the Union last night. So I, don't I was still I, I was doing much. laundry, and you know, here's here's my my technique was I knew I was going to have a lot of prep with a lot of those sound cuts. So I'll you make them. Watch it live. I'm going to make them make a lot of sense when I'm cutting them up for newscasts in the morning. But um, uh, some of the drill down he talked about. Um, uh, you know the police reform. Uh, the the uh, the um, he talked about a Medicare, little bit. Social security. He talked a little bit about uh, security with China. Mm-hmm. He didn't mention the balloon, but you know specifically. Man, everybody thought he was going to mention the balloon. Yeah, but he he said you know you can t- if you if you uh, <laughs> if you try to threaten our sovereignty, you know you'll you'll. There will be a reaction, and yeah. Well, Marsha will have more about this on her uh, newscast. Throughout It'll the rest sound of the a lot better too when I process. <laughs> but my I saw thoughts. a funny picture. Um, it said just spotted a, a German spy balloon, oh, and, yeah. it, and it was a balloon that was just a big beer stein. I almost sent that to you. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Now, have you seen the one that said, um, "And now Mexico is sending a spy balloon." Oh goodness! It's a pinata. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was so cute too. <laughs> well, you can always let us know uh, your thoughts. You can message us on Facebook. Uh, we don't have the text line at the moment, so you can message us on Facebook. Just uh, go to Panhandle News Network on there, or you can always call us three zero four two six three four three two one. But we'll step aside and be back for more Panhandle Live after the break on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. On WEPN. Welcome back to Panhandle Live, brought to you by Sutton and Janelle, full service law firm serving West Virginia and Maryland. You can visit their historic location in downtown Martinsburg at 224 West King Street. You can always find them online at suttonandjanelle.com. I'm Jordan Ice Warner. Alongside me is Marsh Kavalik. And Marsha, our next guest is joining us in studio. Yes, so uh, Berkeley County Schools uh, Coordinator of Behavioral Health Pat Patton joins us. Welcome in. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being in. So a huge topic has gained a lot of uh, uh, familiarity among among folks who don't even have kids in uh, school systems, especially during the pandemic. I, I'm sure your your job changed a lot. I came on during the pandemic, um, so I, I, I it did change because I changed positions, but um, it the role that we took in the schools did have to change a bit, yes, to make sure that we were providing services to our students. Well, I think it's pretty easy for us that, you know, weren't in the schools or weren't a school-aged, I guess, uh, person when the pandemic really hit. It's easy to not understand how much school, how much time those kids really, you know, they missed. They missed essentially, what, three years of their, you know, whatever uh, level of school experience that they had. So what are some of the things or what were some of the things that you were uh, noticing from the children, from the kids, uh, you know, during the pandemic, and especially coming out of the pandemic now that, you know, everything's kind of back to normal all of a sudden? Absolutely. Well, during the pandemic, of course, one of the things we challenged was most challenging was in order to provide behavioral health care, you have to be able to see the students, work with the students on a daily, regular basis so that you can assess them and see what their needs are. Um, Many of our students we're not in the school buildings. So that created a big challenge in identifying students. We, our social workers and counselors, worked very hard to make sure we identified that, not just the students in the schools, um, but also when they could outside of the schools. We continued to provide uh, and never stopped providing um, therapy. What we did is we changed, much like behavioral health throughout the entire country, we changed to, when necessary, virtual options. Mm. When, when, it, when you look back, I mean, it's easy to forget, but, you know, three years ago, next month things just kind of shut down 
and the kids weren't even able to co- congregate and eat a meal together. Um, if they could, their families might go drive to a centralized location or to their school and pick up a lunch for them. But um, having that one-on-one contact with anyone that had been previously part of their, you know, day-to-day, uh, then having all that kind of just taken away had to be devastating. It was. What we've seen since students have come back is a, a lot of um, anxiety about coming back into the school buildings. Of course, the younger students who would have started in the younger grades hadn't been in school buildings and didn't necessarily know how to behave in school um, hmm. with all the guidelines. So they had to learn you know, the, um, what many students would know, know, know right away because they'd been there before. Um, and what we noticed was that last year, especially um, the students as they returned to school, normally we would have seen a couple of weeks breaking in period. And that took a lot longer. Um, but with our teachers, uh, you know, one of the things we did is we addressed this with teachers, with new hires, making sure that they were trauma-informed. They understood what our students had gone through and what the challenges were. So between our students, our administration, our school counselors and social workers, we've been there to support them. And we've seen this year uh, an e- a smoother and easier transition. So it's a school system with more than 19,000 students. How available is one-on-one help for a kid Who's struggling? Because it just seems as though with that kind of volume, it would be easy for a kid to fall through the cracks. So what are the safeguards? That's a great question because Berkeley County Schools, one of the things I came from healthcare during the pandemic, I worked at a hospital providing healthcare. And one of the things that made me decide I wanted to do this was how much Berkeley County Schools supports our students when it comes to behavioral health. And I wanted to be a part of it. The it certainly is something that Berkeley County Schools is aware of. And between what we have is a really good framework spread out amongst the schools um, between school counselors. One of the things that Berkeley County Schools did with um, ESSER funds that came during, from COVID was we increased the number of school counselors um, to make sure that we had school counselors in every building um, and cut down in as many as possible as part-time school counselors. Um, we also have several social workers that are federally funded and the Communities and Schools Program, which identify the students who are at most risk for dropout or who need the most help. So we have school counselors and social workers spread out to try to identify. And plus, we also work with the teachers to, you know, to help them understand trauma and trauma sensitivity and to start to pick out um, students who may need that a little extra help and refer to school counselors and social workers. And one of those programs that really helps avoid that falling through the cracks is what's called the Handle with Care program. This is a program that's in 33 states around the country. It started in Charleston, West Virginia, a little elementary school, and it's when a first responder of any type comes across a student in our community, Berkeley County school student, they say, hey, do you go to Berkeley County schools? Where do you go? If something traumatic has happened to that student, it doesn't matter what it is, they notify us so that we are ready we don't get any information, but we're ready the next morning when that door is open. We just know we get a handle with care notice, and we, we just know that something happened, and we're there, and we keep an eye on them, and we make sure they're okay. And if we notice they're struggling, we already have a head start, and the social worker and counselor are brought in to make sure we don't miss that. We hmm. know that um, you know, there, there are some families that are very dysfunctional. There's you know, incarceration. There, there is drug use and that, and those are very dysfunctional situations. But there's been a lot of talk nationally and even regionally about parents' rights being usurped. Um, Can you assure the parents and the families in Berkeley County that if a social worker in a county school is, you know, if they've got your child on their radar, that you're going to partner with them and not, you know, undermine them? I really appreciate that question because absolutely. One of the things um, as coordinator of behavioral health, we, um, we provide 
school-based therapy service, but that is therapy. We're providing mental health therapy in the school system. That cannot happen. If you think about medical care, a child can't walk in and get their own medical care. What do they need? They need a legal guardian's signature, all the legal guardians. That's something we work with monthly. I, when I speak with the social workers and school counselors, that if we're going to do this, we must, we must get all the legal guardian signatures so that we, because the thing is, there's the, the treatment team when it comes to any healthcare is the healthcare provider, okay, any other providers in the area, but the most important person is, the, you know, when healthcare, we'd call them the client. In this case, it's the student part of that treatment team. And of course, part of the treatment team is that student, the most important student and guardians. So absolutely, this is a collaborative effort between the school system, but we don't move on, on mental health issues until we get sign off on from all the guardians. Now, of course, um, the, the main focus, and like you said, the most important are the students, but how are the teachers holding up? Because, uh, you know, I know a ton of teachers, I have a lot of teachers, you know, in my family working in and around schools. And, you know, it's, uh, it seems like it's been pretty stressful for them also these last uh, couple of months, couple of years. It has been. And that's one of the things that I was really excited as I came on. Um, one of the first things as the students came back into the building was I was asked to come to the uh, central office and I was asked, okay, we want you out. And I was asked to be out in schools working with the staff. And since then, we've done many presentations. I've done many presentations. Um, and I've had some of the social workers with me on other presentations on um, coping with stress, managing stress, taking care of themselves. Um, because we, if we're if we break down, we're not going to be able to be there. If we're stressed out, we're not going to be able to help the students who are stressed out because that's just more stress on us. So we've been working diligently. That professional development days, I go to multiple schools, prevent multiple presentations. Um, we have a presentation coming up this um, this month with um, Studio Two Fourteen, which is a yoga studio, um, and we're going to be working with staff on how to do that and not not just use those techniques to help their own stress, but also techniques on how they can use those with students. So that's something that Berkeley County Schools started to address even as the students, before the students started to come back, and we continue to work with that because they have a tough job. You know, occasionally we um, get some really horrific bad news related to either a student or a, um, you know, a school, and uh, it seems like one of the tags is a crisis team is, has been deployed to talk to the students. What, what does that look like? Who, who, are, who makes up the crisis team? The crisis team is made up of um, primarily um, school counselors and social workers. I coordinated on a district level. Melissa Sherman, who's a school counselor at Musselman High School, uh, also coordinates it um, when it comes to getting people to, to arrive. And we've, we have, unfortunately, we have had a couple of incidences this year where we've been notified that we need to be there um, and we are there before the doors open um, each, on, on each occasion. We, ha- we reach out um, through texts and apps to make sure everyone gets the notice. And we arrive with several people before the doors open um, and we provide support to students. Um, we have staff assigned to support just students and we have staff to, um, assigned to support the staff in the building. And what does that look like? Can the, can the kids just get permission to go down and drift to the cafeteria or wherever you're meeting and just sit and talk to someone? Absolutely. We have multiple um, counselors and social workers available. We work with the administration in that particular building to set up a, a designated area where we're going to see students either privately or in groups. Um, the most recent in one, we had multiple areas set up. Um, we had a we had a small room for individual. We had a large room for groups. We also had a command center um, and where we could work, make sure that administration was supported, that the school continued to run and operate, um, and that we were there for students. So yes, as a teacher notices um, a student needs support. 
we're notified, we and we bring either somebody from that classroom, the teacher or an aide brings the student to us, or we go get that student, we bring them to us at which time now we have the support and they're allowed to come and go throughout the day. We work with school teachers and the administration to support the students who need it most, but also help them transition back to the class when they're ready. You had to deploy pretty quickly on one of the incidents that when the student got hit by, you know, crossing the the street in front of the bus, uh, you know, the school kids were already in school um, by the time the news kind of trickled. But I'm sure all of them who were in that circle of friends knew by the time first period had started. One of the unique things of that's happening now is that sometimes the students are spreading the information before we as as we are. And that's something we're really aware of. We're, and we so we're out there immediately working with students and as talking to them about what to either talk about or maybe that's not the best thing, you know, to make sure that they understand that they could be traumatizing themselves by talking about it, you know, or also make, making sure that the news is spread responsibly. Well, uh, again, I appreciate you taking some time this morning to come in and chat with us. And if you look, you know, back to where you kind of started uh, with during the pandemic and where things were, uh, the craziness that was the pandemic and where things are kind of positioned at now, uh, how do you feel looking forward? Because a, a lot of good things have come from the pandemic, of course, a lot of bad things as well. But I think a lot of different, um, you know, insights on, you know, the work-life balance and things like that have been a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of good to come out of that. So looking forward uh, with Berkeley County Schools and kind of the status of things, uh, how do you feel? I feel very optimistic and positive because Berkeley County Schools already had a focus on behavioral health. Um, what I think has come out of that is the necessary, as you've mentioned, the necessary steps that we also need to make sure that we're supporting staff. And that is something that, again, I've seen the district start to do immediately. Um, we knew that when these students came back into the building, they were going to be experiencing trauma, but also that trauma was shared. Every one of the staff, we've all gone through this. Um, and this is something we knew from the very beginning that we needed to support students so and staff. And so what we did was we put out a trauma-informed toolkit immediately, but it wasn't just tools that could be used with students, it could be used with staff. And so we recognized on the behavioral health side and the, the emphasis on, and the behavioral health department is not just supporting staff, I'm sorry, not just supporting students, but also making sure that we're supporting staff. Well, Pat, thank you for coming in and uh, chatting with us a little bit this morning. I appreciate the time. Thank you. Absolutely. And stick around for more after the break on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. You're listening to my Uncle Doe and Marsha on Panhandle Live. Welcome back to Panhandle Live, brought to you by Sutton and Janelle, full-service law firms from West Virginia and Maryland. You can visit their historic location downtown Martinsburg at 224 West King Street. You can always find them online at suttonandjanelle.com. I'm Jordan Ice Warner. Alongside me is Marsh Kavalik. If you missed it for the break, excuse me, we had Berkeley County Schools Pat Patton in. We'll talk about behavioral health. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff there, of course, if you've... Uh, you know, had a child in the school system, especially during the, the pandemic and things, uh, I'm sure you've probably, um, well, would be interested in a lot of that talk. So uh, you can also back that a little bit later on. But you said, Marcia, that you were uh, combing through the uh, legislative agenda it's or Senate so agenda thick. this morning. Yeah, Find anything cool? Yes. Yeah, so today is day 29. Okay. And um, I'm going to read some things, but some of them are, these are not done deals. Some of them are on their first or third reading. Um, so today... Uh, right off the bat, the, right off the bat, they want to do a resolution declaring the Guyandot River crayfish the official crustacean. I'm really surprised we don't have the, one already. The what? The, the official crustacean. No, what's for the it state called? The Guyandot. The Guyandot River crayfish. How do you spell that? 
guy, like guys and dolls. Okay. And like also. Okay. Uh, D-O-T-T-E. Guy and dolls. Oh, I'm sorry. O-T-T-E. I got it. Here. You don't need two Ds. I got it. The guy so what's the re- difference between the, uh, is it just because it's from West Virginia, I guess? Is it like, like any? May- maybe it is locally grown and sourced. Oh, it's I, endangered? I, is it? There you go. Yeah. Okay. It's the largest crayfish in West Virginia. Maybe that'll, oh, it's one of those that you could, when it bites your toes, you when it pinches your toes, you know <laughs> and, then, and then two questions after, uh, is it the largest crayfish of West Virginia? It's, uh, are there any panthers in West Virginia? <laughs> go figure. But very cool. Very yeah, cool. Yeah. So um, also uh, on, their, on its third reading, Senate Bill 489 requiring boards of education to provide free feminine hygiene project and, uh, products in certain grades. That's kind of cool. Second reading, requiring all schools to instruct students on Holocaust and other genocides and financial literacy. That is a that's a lot right there. Yeah, financial financial literacy literacy, and the Holocaust. So, I, you know, all those things can't let the kids forget important. Um, Let's see. Voter registration, uh, electronic, uh, like a statewide deadline, uh, clarifying uniform statewide deadline for electronically submitted voter registration applications requiring certain drivers these are on the first readings requiring certain drivers to display student driver on the rear of the vehicle are mm-hmm. uh, exempting west virginia veterans from certain fees and charges at state parks mm-hmm. yeah, i think we could get behind that yeah both those um uh let's see and in committee meetings relating to allocation of child protective workers in counties based upon population of the county we've talked about this a lot because uh, the Eastern Panhandle has a lot of trouble getting child protective workers. So they've been talking a lot about that. A um, lot of talk about um, retirement funding for certain groups of people who are government employees. Um, one, uh, removing rape and incest exceptions to, pu- to obtain abortions in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. One of the sponsors of Senate Bill 584, which is going to be introduced according to the the schedule today is um, Patricia Rucker. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that's it. That's an interesting thing as well. Um, and there was another one. Oh, increase. This has been in the news cycle today. Uh, 9 a.m. and the education committee increasing salary for teachers with less than eight years of experience. Uh, we've had stories about Charles Trump having this idea to start them as if they've had eight years of experience in terms of pay. Hmm. So also another one authorizing locality pay to corrections officers. And I thought there was one more. Oh, relating to the requirements for disclosure of donor contributions. There you go. Yeah. Well, very cool. Looks like they definitely have their, uh, their docket full downstairs. Yeah, they do. Now are you a crawfish uh, eater? I've I've had crawfish before. You used to pick them back yeah. down home. Yeah, we had them in our creek. Did you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we in your creek. In our yeah. It's, okay, you want to fight? Well, uh, I, no. I'm we, more surprised you said creek. That's Honestly. I had a creek right by my house. You, didn't, and, you weren't a, a creek person. Nope. And uh, we we could uh, get put a net down like a little minnow trap, mm-hmm. minner trap, <laughs> minner. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would sometimes catch minnows. Yeah. Sometimes we catch snakes. <laughs> no, no thanks. But um, yeah, one I, one time I remember specifically we were trying to get crawfish, and uh, get enough to get enough meat out of you know mm-hmm. uh, to make it make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we didn't do too much of that. The only time uh, I was ever in a situation like that would have been 
Oh, in Little League, we go down and play uh, Konica Jig Little League in Williamsport, and the Konica Jig Creek mm-hmm. goes right through there, and kids would go and uh, dive in there and try to grab crawfish during games and stuff. And then uh, anytime I'd be with my buddies in Funkstown, I'd be doing all the all the country, country it, kid stuff. Again, it's that point of delineation. Is it a crawfish? Is it a crayfish? Is it a crawdaddy? What do I say? I, what did I just say You there? said crawfish. Then crawfish, I guess, is what I've always called. So I grew up, and it was crawdaddy. Crawdad. Yeah, crawdad I've heard, I mean, crawdad. I mean, I, I do that one. Mm-hmm. Crawfish. Hmm. They're like tiny, tiny little lobsters. I've never ate them. Are they, are they good? Yeah. You like, just cook tastes, them the same way? It tastes like lobster, but you're getting like, I don't know if I've you ever know, had lobster. A, a, one thirty second of a like teaspoon. <laughs> Are you supposed to like f- pop their head and suck the juices out of I, their head? Okay, know what you're supposed that to do? That sounds really I don't know. feral. I'm asking. <laughs> I don't know. You're the you're the one that's had them, not me. That's why I got to ask the questions. I don't, I don't know. I I only ever had crabs. We probably crab legs. Most likely had an adult supervising this and and helped us figure out how to extract the hmm. crawfish. I you know I don't know. <laughs> Well, yeah. that could be the official uh, state. Um, what'd you say? The crustacean. Crustacean. So, but yeah. but if it is if it's endangered, doesn't that mean like we're not going to be enjoying that crustacean on our plates? Because then won't it be like more protected status, and you you can't have it. You can't have the guy and crayfish. I don't know. Because Guess we'll find out there aren't enough of them. That's true. They've already been over farmed, overeaten, overeaten. <laughs> From kids like you back in the okay. day. Okay, you know, if if I'd had one that big, <laughs> I probably would have gone back for another hit. Yeah, try to <laughs> get another one out of the creek. Well, if you missed today's show, Dake, listen back to it a little bit later on on our Panhandle News Network Facebook and Spotify page. For Marsha, I'm Jordan. Hoppy is next. Have a good one. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here too.